0: When you're branded for something, it gives you credibility, and the credibility is what converts. He ended up getting a quarter of a million dollar deal and all I got was lunch.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Page One or Bust, your ultimate guide to getting on page one of search engines. In this episode, we're talking about topical authority in 2023 and beyond with Vito Santoro, an award-winning author and SEO expert with over 18 years of experience advising solopreneurs, entrepreneurs, and startups. He is also the founder of BrandVelocity.io, which helps entrepreneurs build their personal brands online. He shares can't-miss advice on establishing topical authority for brand recognition, and discusses the art of educating and converting your audience without overhyping your content. Plus, so much more. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsor Page One or Bust is brought to you by Demand Jump. Get insights, drive outcomes with Demand Jump. Get started creating content that ranks for free at DemandJump.com today. And now, here are your co hosts, Drew Detzler and Ryan Brock.
2: Welcome back to Page One or Bust. This is your host, Drew Detzler. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Ryan
3: Brock. Ryan, how are we doing? Yo. Yeah. Oh, man. I am living the dream today, Drew. It is 90 million degrees and I can't breathe outside. How are you doing? Fantastic. Happy to not be in
2: the car. Ryan and I spent eight, eight hours in a car uh, together yesterday. It was, it was fun, but happy to not be in that car today.
3: It was my car and I uh, ran a lot of stop signs. I blew through construction zones. I'm not lying either. This is what actually <laughs> happened. So Drew's ready to be, he's happy to be on solid ground. It right
2: was there. a rough end of the drive. Otherwise he did great. Well- even more excited than being out of the car, I'm, I'm more excited because we have a great guest today, and that is Vito Santoro. Vito, welcome to the show. Oh,
0: yeah, well, thank you very much. I look forward to participating.
3: Yeah, yeah, thanks for coming. This is uh, exciting. I, you know, we're we're a professional operation. We have producers. Yeah. They interview our guests ahead of time. Thank you for that clarifying mm-hmm. doubt, Drew. But yeah, I looked over the show notes, and this is interesting. I don't think we've ever talked to anyone who had has quite the focus that you do, Vito. So I'm not going to jump the shark here and go straight to the end. But I'm, I'm really excited for this conversation.
2: Thank you. Yeah, it's going to be a great one. And in fact, why don't we go ahead and lead off Vito with you giving a little bit of background on when SEO first came on your radar.
0: It was back, I hate to say it way back, but it was 2004, which seems like an eternity ago. I was very interested in the internet and I took a course on HTML and building websites. And I got interested in building a website when a, a friend of mine I worked with in high tech had a product that was for child safety and it actually prevented kids from running into the street. Okay. And he tried everything to get into retail and like he was having trouble. So I said, well, maybe I could build a website. You know, yep. and see what we can do. Well, long story short, I went through all the pain of doing that and setting it up. And I ended up earning enough from that site just through SEO to put my daughter to Florida State University. There it is. And Man. it was like, it got, I got hit hard mm-hmm. with desire at that point because I was ranking number one across all the search wasn't being at the time. It was MSN and Google, yep. you know, Yahoo. I never paid for advertising was all through SEO
3: there it is there is something deeply romantic about and I know this is a weird word but like deeply romantic to me about like the wild west of the internet as we know it today like back then that doesn't even like you're right it's almost 20 years ago doesn't seem like so long ago but like the fact that maybe I'll build a website was not a foregone conclusion (laughs) like like that's wild and then the fact that you could do this also wild so I want to before we go any further because I want to hear more about your career like, what did you do? Like, what, what were the tactics that worked in 2004 for that website? Because I'm really, I don't think we've ever had a conversation about SEO at that far back in history.
0: It was like a pioneer stage. Yep. Google didn't have the penalties or the rules going on. So what you did was you actually optimized the page for a specific keyword. And actually, singular and plural were actually two different keyword phrases. It's nowhere near. It was very individual. And there weren't backlinks like they were today. So by building content and submitting to like directories at the time, and they weren't even like niche specific, they were just getting directories. But what I found too, which was very interesting is that I did a lot of content on child safety, not just on the product. I didn't realize I built an authority site at the time. I was just writing content and I I put in uh, links also to Amazon with an affiliate program and put, you know, bike helmets and everything else, but I was writing my own content. And what I found was when I looked at some of the stats that a lot of women were coming on who were mothers of toddlers or actually spreading through, and they didn't have Facebook or anything at the time, but they were on forums And they were Mm -hmm. actually sharing my content on forums. Again, it was like doing things to what you should be doing today, doing it back in the day. It was really weird. But it got me great rankings. And again, there was no backlinks to speak of. And that was the way Word got around.
3: Oh, God. I want to go back there.
2: (laughs) You know it. I love it. Um, You know? uh, We we all do, right? Um, So I I want to talk some more about your career and and talk about some of the steps Along the way, but I'm gonna almost jump to the end here and ask ask you how your philosophy has changed since that time in 2004 to now.
0: It's funny that Ryan used the term the Wild West because that's what I use all the time when I started, right? Yep. But I think SEO has become more of a serious profession, and it's no longer considered the Wild West. You really need to know what you're doing today. And you need to satisfy visitors as well as Google. And I think the priority used to be satisfy Google, Yep. right? Now it seems to be more satisfy based on user intent, which can impact your rankings. Where it's getting a little interesting, too, is because Google now, if someone asks a question, because about 25% of the searches have never been done before. So it's not all based on keyword. It's based on people just typing a lot of queries in, right? So now they're even going to parts of content. I've noticed this and they'll highlight it in yellow to show an answer, which kind of tells you people want to get to the point now. So it kind of totally changed my perspective of how to how to do content now.
3: You can see my book back here, pillar-based marketing. And that's like our, our software demand jump. It's all about enabling this pillar-based marketing methodology for organic content. Because I think you and I we think very similar, Drew, as well. Like we all seem to be thinking the same way and like one of the core parts of the pillar based marketing methodology that's a little bit different from traditional SEO is like we think yeah people talk to search engines the way they talk to each other now.
0: Exactly.
3: We're so used to technology basically understanding us without having to like be technical that like a significant part of our methodology involves focusing specifically on questions Often, questions that Google Ads would tell you have zero search volume and favoring those over other terms that you would have traditionally favored before. So, it's really interesting to hear you talk about that because we agree 100%.
0: In fact, getting started with branding, you want to focus on topical authority because Google rewards brands. And branding used to be very, very expensive. But now, small companies and entrepreneurs, solopreneurs can actually compete if they do it correctly with topical authority because that's how Google recognizes you as an entity and as a business business so you 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 need more than just a website but yet you need to have to differentiate yourself yeah and actually show like you know what you're talking about completely
3: agree where's taylor where's our producer (laughs) how much did you pay Vito to say these things (laughs) yeah i want to know how much you paid him to say like Vito. i'm literally like spending all my time right now where we we, i'm building an algorithm for a new model for topical authority metrics to measure that with software it's awesome to hear Yeah, Drew and I were tied up in like a really extended conversation just like two days ago with a whole bunch of SEOs and and marketers and entrepreneurs talking about why like topical authority is really quickly becoming the only thing that matters when it comes to like setting a brand foundation for anything.
0: It's so different now too, because you still need a focus keyword for your content, which is kind of like a GPS system. But if you don't get into the topical relevance and user intent, it doesn't matter what you're writing anymore. With all the search volume that's coming in that isn't indexed, Google needs to look holistically at what you're doing, see whether you have trust, and authority, and then we'll rank you for keywords that you're not even focusing on. As long as it's topically
3: relevant. Where where are you located? Where are you located? I want to take you out to dinner.
0: I'm in Charleston, South Carolina. <laughs>
3: ah, hey, we have, we have team members in Charleston. We have some people yeah. there. All right, I'm going to gonna I'm gonna find a way to make this happen sometime, Vito. <laughs> you know, I don't think I've had a conversation this exciting ever in my entire life. Yeah.
0: You know, it, it's funny. I, I work with a lot of solopreneurs, right? Yep. You know, entrepreneurs too. I just wrote a book for entrepreneurs on all the things that get in your way from a human perspective. Love that. You know, there's a lot of challenges like comfort zone and everything else. Yep. And uh, it just came out in June. It's doing pretty well. You You have to look at the human condition before you can do any of this. So that includes your tramping. They want everything overnight now. They're not going to mess around. They're also really smart customers now. They're not just going to give you email or anything. You have to build a relationship. And if you don't help them first, neither Google or users are going to work with you. You've got to really build that trust. You know, again, with solopreneurs, most of them are health coaches or they're doing some kind of business where they are the business. And and they're trying to put food on the table with what they do, whether it be coaching or, or, or trying to sell some products or whatever. But they don't have the expertise or the time to sit down and learn how to do something in order to build topical authority. Yeah, They don't understand what it is. They think that throwing up an article now and then, and prep, you know, sharing it on socials, enough, and it's not.
3: No. Do you think that's it? Do you think that like that that lack of technical knowledge is what keeps them holds them back? Because one of the things we found is when you actually get the right data, you make the right decisions. Like you said, like you write content in in the context of other content that sort of matches an entire customer journey, the smallest brands can quickly overtake Absolutely. very, very large organizations. So is it just like like industry knowledge about how to do this that's holding these people back?
0: That's part of it. I think they're overwhelmed they're concerned about the budget of outsourcing in order to get it done correctly. And and you know, just like anything else, if you're in your comfort zone, you want to do what you're doing and you hope for an extra output. But the thought of writing 50 articles for topical authority, most people, it's like deer in the headlights. Then they have to know how to do it. So you've got to satisfy both users and Google. They don't know, I mean, a keyword. They they think that they can just write it on something, but they're not looking. They don't even understand what user intent is. It's transitioning it from the concept to reality that they're struggling with.
3: Well, maybe they're right. I tell people all the time, like one of the first things I say to people and I'm trying to get them to think differently about organic content is there's no such thing as a keyword.
0: That's right. Um,
3: That's what it all comes back to, right? Like I'm, I'm curious if you've got any examples or stories about like how not just like marketer behavior has shifted because we've talked about like Google is it, it's not just about Google. And I think the reason it's not just about getting Google's attention is because Google never wanted that, right? Like they're building technology designed to better understand how humans view content. That's, and it just took a long time to get to a point now where they can actually do that convincingly. And so like we've already said, people don't search with keywords. They ask questions, they write whatever's in their mind. People don't know how to write using keywords. I kind of say that, that keywords don't exist anymore. Like they're, you have to isolate these phrases. And yeah, maybe some, some are statistically more likely to be repeated again and again. But like, you think that's a result of, of user behavior? Like, are we all getting smarter? And if so, what is the change? Like what's, what's changing in the way that we all learn in 2023?
0: Uh, I have two people I work with. One's a musician. He actually is an entertainer. He writes music. And I told him, don't worry about ranking. Don't worry about anything. Build your brand, your personal brand online. I'll tell you a funny story. He's actually one of my really good friends. We played in a band together and everything. And I helped him with this. And he dominated page one for his name and his music, videos, articles. You know, he's in Spotify, everything else. I mean, he was really... Well, he got a referral. He's a stockbroker. And he got a referral as a stockbroker. And the guy came in and he said, uh, she says, well, how did you hear about me? He says, well, I heard your name, but I Googled you. He said, man, you're really an entertainer, huh? And he went through all this stuff. He said, yeah, but that doesn't have anything to do with uh, investment business. He said, are you kidding? You must be great at it. If you're that well branded on Google, you're amazing. Yep. When you're branded for something, it gives you credibility. And the credibility is what converts. He ended up getting a quarter of a million dollar deal. And all I got was lunch.
3: (laughs) (laughs) So when you're saying branded terms, just to be clear, the description you gave sort of sounds more like, The terms that like label you, like the stuff that's fundamental to you, not necessarily the brand name specifically, or or am I wrong?
0: There's both. I think personal branding first. First of all, if you have a unique name, if it's not like John Smith, right, you're going to be able to pretty much dominate page one of Google because there's no other content about that. So you can actually get a good footprint about who you are. People now search to, they work with people, they don't work with companies. Yep. So, like, for example, if a stockbroker leaves one major firm and goes to another, they could, they follow the broker because they trust them. Yep. Because th- the bigger companies have it. The second thing is, if you have a company, you want to, you want to build your marketing campaign. You want to build your messaging. You want to know your, your target audience. You want to know how to talk to them. And you did tie that all into your content. But once you rank for branded terms, okay, and you do it right, you'll start branding for keywords that are not branded. I have a client now, a SaaS company. They were really doing well with their brand, but they could not rank beyond that. They had an old website. We revamped everything, did everything, deleted all the old stuff. You know they're ranking number one for the primary keywords without their brand now. Yep. Google saw that they took an interest and they built. That's more of a company but personal branding's number one, because, I mean, when you look at Bill Gates and you look at all these people, they're branded as individuals. And if you have a great digital personal footprint and then it, it covers over to your company, Okay, especially if you're smaller, yep. right? Like a solopreneur, you're going to have a competitive advantage.
2: All about building building that trust, and getting your foot foot in the door with, with the initial branding, and then that opens you up yourself up to the the non branded terms. Uh, wholeheartedly agree. The analogy we we use a similar analogy. We're talking about topical authority within Demand Jump, and we use a car salesman analogy. And, and I'm at I'm at the I'm in the lot, I'm looking at cars, I'm, I'm hooked on this one. And I ask the, the the car salesman, I love it. So what kind of tires does it take? And the car salesman goes, oh, I don't really know. I just sell the car. I immediately take <laughs> pause and go, does he really know about this car or is he just trying to get me to click? Is he just trying to push me towards this sale? And you get a little hesitant. And that's it's the same sort of situation with Google. If you don't establish that you know all those tangential questions and, and you don't understand that entire topic, they're not going to throw you up there for those big short tail keywords that, that that you want clicks on.
0: That's right. Absolutely right. You know, even answering the questions that people aren't at a point where they know what to ask, that's powerful. Yep. In fact, I learned that from a Sears sales guy back in the day. I went in to buy a lawnmower. Yeah. And this guy, you know, he just came over. And the first thing he said, he could have sold me this, you know, five speed. Yep. Thing, and I got like a half an acre. And the first thing he asked me is, how big is your yard? That's the first question he asked me. And I told him, he says, well, you don't need this. It's overkill. He said, now, if you get the electric, you're going to have to drag a cord around. He said, and a lot of people go over the cord, which I wouldn't even have thought of at the time, right? He said, you're better off with a smaller gas motor. It works with the oil. Here's how you mix it. But it'll last you 10 years. It's guaranteed for a year. And it's, it's a lot less expensive than what you came in for. He had a sale immediately, but we don't have the luxury of doing it in person though. We've got to do it through content and that's the skill Right, without hype of educating and converting.
3: You've got, and that's our, that's our whole thing. Like our raison d'etre for what we do is like, if people have to be their own salespeople and not just have to be, but prefer to be, like we're all living in that world now. We want to teach ourselves. I don't care if you're selling some convoluted enterprise software or a shoe right? Like people want to know what they want to know and they expect a customized experience. So if you are just shouting into the void about your value propositions that you spent a lot of money with a branding firm to put together, you're going to fail. Like you have to know what are the actual things people are talking about. So that Because you can't go ask somebody, how big is your yard? You just can't do that anymore. You have to know statistically what are the questions people are going to be asking and how do I create that choose your own adventure style experience with my content? I I want to jump into a a sort of a little bit of the technical side because
2: we are speaking the same language around topical authority. And I'm sure this conversation will get back there uh, sooner rather than later. But what are some of the biggest mistakes you've seen on websites uh, of some of your customers that have negatively impacted that user experience. You mentioned one customer earlier.
0: You know, it's funny when you do a little bit of an audit, it doesn't have to be a technical audit. It's more, I mean, it ends up being technical, but you have to look at it from the experience. Yes. Right. Like for example, site speed, people do stupid stuff. Like they'll take pictures with their phone. And they'll upload the image directly to their website. And now the server has to work at resizing it to display. Yep. Imaging will slow down your site more than anything else. Yep. So one guy had to reoptimize off page, you know, on his computer, all the images, name them for the right keyword phrase and then upload them. Yep. So it was all fast. Also. There's a difference between mobile-friendly and mobile-responsive. Yes. A lot of the older sites are mobile-friendly, which means that the site just displays on a mobile phone, but you can't navigate or interact with it. Yeah. So you need to make sure you're mobile-responsive and that there's one click away from what they want to do. Whatever extra click, you lose them. Yep. You know? They have multiple calls to action. They should have one call to action on a page. You have to look at conversion rate optimization because look, people have real short attention spans—seconds. But if you interest them in something, they stop and listen. They want more information.
3: Oh, that's right. So- like people, people are not goldfish. I've been saying that for years. It's—it's it's not that people have short attention spans. It's like like they need you to make them understand why they should give you their attention span. Like like. We, attention span is a limited resource. It's not, it's not just like, oh, the internet's ruined us or mobile phones have ruined us and we don't know how to read anymore. I get a good book in me, like in my hands, I can read for hours on end. But if I, if it's a crappy book, why am I going to waste my time? Oh,
0: you're lucky to get through the title. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. People know when you're hype. you got it. There's a thin red line between generating interest and being hypey. Yes. This is the best article ever written on earth. Okay, that's a little hypey, right? Yep. So, but if you hit the benefit or you hit the, the user intent yep. with a really good question. The other thing I I notice is how they write content. They do a lot of really long form content and it looks like blocks of text. And when you look at somebody, you have to use a lot of H tags, like two and three. You got to break the content up. I start out by asking the user or answering the user intent right in the opening paragraph. Because yep. now if they leave quickly, I mean, you know, that could be bad bounce rate. But on the other hand, Google's coming up with these little, did you get what you wanted? Yeah. And you click. Now, if they're clicking no, you're going to drop right? But see, there's, there, I think we're in a hybrid situation right now. You still need the long form content and do your competitive erasure, But I think you got to start almost with the conclusion, use a table of contents, link to H2 tags, have FAQs, have key takeaways, where when they're scrolling, they can stop them with interest them. Agreed. And use, using video will keep them on your
3: site as well. Yep. In pillar-based marketing, we recommend that like for any broad topic, for any pillar topic, you're going to develop content around your pillar page. The one that's like your shortest tail focus keyword. Like for us, it might be uh keyword research or it might be pillar-based marketing. That might be right. Like we, we tell people write like 3000 or more words, because usually for those short tail wor- keywords, you look at what's on the top 10 positions of Google, they are longer form. They're more in depth. However, we also say, we can actually use data to understand what specific facets of that topic you should cover mm-hmm. in what order, how many different H2s you should throw. I mean, we recommend in like a, if it's a, a 3000 word article, there, they've got to be at least like 10 to 15 H2s. In yeah, there. Absolutely. Right. And what we found is across all of our pillar pages and we've got a, like, I don't know, drew 15 of them, yeah, 15 plus probably at this point. Our, our average time on page is somewhere between like 12 and 15 minutes. Wow. And so I'm, I'm always telling people, yeah, it's like it's like the length isn't a problem. The wall of text you described is a problem. And yeah. the yeah. fact that like you're starting with this short tail keyword. Let's say it's uh, SEO keyword research and you're just writing whatever pops into your head. Even though you give that title to 10 different writers, you're going to get 10 different articles back. You know, we get so deep into the SEO weeds sometimes that we start thinking
2: way too technically. And if you just get up at 30,000 feet and look down at what you would want to read it, it really does exactly. that exactly
0: the other thing they don't do a lot of is interlinking that's becoming more and more important
3: yep. yes it is like a
0: site like a silo structure if they can i mean that might be a little too advanced them. but when you interlink you get all your pages indexed yep you know that's one of the important things and also linking out to authority sites when google sees that you're linking out they know that you're there not just to keep people on your site like you're exactly. willing to share more information
2: you're there to so, be helpful
3: exactly yep Yeah, that's that's what comes first. Okay, I'm scared to ask this question, Vito, because we're like nine for nine on alignment here on our on our philosophies (laughs) and our perspective. And this one, this one's a hot topic. But I want to go back one one last question before we hit our lightning round and close this out. We sort of started this conversation talking about how how solopreneurs, entrepreneurs, small brands sometimes struggle to understand how to capture all that expertise that's in their head and use it to drive traffic to their websites. Writing 50 articles, that's a tough thing. Uh, I'm gonna ask you a loaded question. Is artificial intelligence the silver bullet for that sort of a person or not?
0: Yes and no. Well, let me give you some. <laughs> that was not an answer. answer. <laughs> let me, I actually wrote a few notes here. Hold on. on, on AI. AI technology, I first, when it first came out, you kind of got to step back and figure whether or not it's real or that it's going to be usable. But it was actually disruptive technology. When ChatGPT came out, they had a million users like in the first week. And it, and it went across marketing and everything else. But it's more than game changer. It's really changing the, I think for years to come. And I think the thing is it's being used incorrectly. And if you look at Google's history, if people press the easy button and say, write me an article on this. Okay. It's going to be viewed as thin content. And I think it's going to be, sp- it's going to be viewed as spam. Remember when they said back in the day when they said they wanted fresh content? Yep. People put everything up on the internet and it polluted the internet. Yep. Then they came out with the, with the uh, penalty to get rid of thin content. Well, I think AI content, it's going to be viewed as thin content unless you put something into it. So I think it's good for brain, what do you call it, when you writer's block? I think you know creating articles, it can create a topical map for you. It can help you write the content. But unless you add the expertise and you follow Google's guidelines, and also another thing I think, with AI content, backlinks are going to become even more important than they are right now. Because the only way Google is going to be able to tell between a good AI and a bad, unless it's thin, is the backlinks. If people are backlinking to the content, it must have quality. So I think part of their quality measurement will stay the same with backlinks. I mean, I don't know for sure, but that's just my hunch based on their history.
3: Okay, so you gave a real answer, finally. You did. You said yes and no, but I think, you're, I think your answer is no, it's not a silver bullet. It is, no. however, probably a, a requirement, a tool if you want to be as efficient as your competition yep. in striking out. And I'm delighted to say that makes us 10 for 10. I think we agree 100% with what you're saying.
0: Yeah, even the new content engines that are the software coming out now, are very expensive. Yep. I think eventually they're going to be no more expensive than a web editor because so many people are doing it and it's going to become more efficient. And everything else right
3: right how much money do you spend on google sheets you yeah. know what i'm saying like if no, you're exactly. doing exactly like, this is a fundamental tool now that's what i've been saying it's a fundamental tool for this for the writing process for creativity Yep. we've gone without it forever but like we all take for granted that calculator apps are just preloaded on our phone we don't need to pay for the value of being able to calculate whatever and i no. think that's where we're at now with this
0: yeah i have one more point what they're all focusing now is trying to make AI content look human generated. Yep. Okay. And I said, it's a waste of time. If you read Google's algorithm or the, what they're saying, they don't mind AI content. If you add the expertise and experience to it and its quality, Yep. don't yep. waste your time investing on bullshit. Oh, that's a technical term. <laughs> <laughs> yep.
3: We Precision. Could we
2: use that one often. Uh, that's beautiful. <laughs> complete agreement. I love it, Vito. We'll, we'll jump into our lightning round. I'll just ask you some quick questions and rattle off some answers. Sound good? Yeah. Vito, what was the last thing you searched for?
0: I hate to say it, but I was looking for recipes for my air fryer. Huh? I, I, Every time I would cook fish, I would murder it. I would literally <laughs> it would come out as dry as a Sahara desert. So I was researching recipes of how to not murder fish and bake it in an air fryer. You said the last thing, so I had to come clean with it. I
3: appreciate (laughs) it. I appreciate appreciate it. I think think we've gotten some very curated answers to that question over time. Yeah, that's right. All right. Vito, are there any books or movies
2: that, that have made you a better marketer over your career?
0: You know, I, I have a lot of marketing background and everything, but the one that there was one that stood out to me it was called Permission Marketing by Seth Godin. Yep. Okay. And if you really go through permission marketing, it really does help you to create a good online funnel because it's how you get people to engage with you. And it was pretty good. But. Currently, what I mostly do, I I subscribe to like Neil Patel, Brian Dean, Mark Dickety. They're really good SEO and marketing people. And they always coming up with some analysis or they tested something. And, you know, I could keep up a little bit with the industry by doing that.
2: Agreed. Okay. And last question here, Vito, what is a marketing or SEO or a content myth that you've busted in your career?
0: You know, the biggest one I would have to say, I think about it, was that duplicate content it will hurt you.
3: Oh my god, Vito. Come on. <laughs> it's 11,
0: 11 for 11.
3: <laughs> Come on. I this is it's my biggest peeve. Yes! Yes! <laughs> What Like, why? where have you been my whole life? Vito? You know? like, <laughs> like, I feel like I take crazy pills. I argue with people about this all the time. I, I can't tell you the amount of times I, I say, no, do these things for, to build topical authority. And then I get some agency sniffing around with a customer and this, this SEO agency says, oh, here's three articles. We're concerned about duplicate content. And I'm like, do you think, do you think Google actually expects people to read every page on your website? Like what, like, Sorry, I'm, I'm stepping on your toes here, but like, I can't believe you just said that. What a great conversation. Yeah, this is a fantastic conversation. And it's only great because I agree with every single thing Vito said. <laughs> yeah,
2: to be fair, we have had great conversations we- where there wasn't complete alignment, but but this was fantastic. But before we get out of here, you mentioned your book. Drop the name of that book and, and where folks can get it.
0: Okay, it's called Right of Passage, and it's called How to Transition from a entrepreneur to Successful Entrepreneur, and it's on Amazon.
2: All right, we'll put a link in the show notes for sure. So check that out, everybody. Yep. Link in the show notes. More information on Vito in the show notes as well. Once again, thank you for coming on today, Vito. This is a fantastic conversation.
3: I really enjoyed it, guys. You've restored my faith in our industry, Vito. You really have.
1: Are you ready to dive even deeper into pillar-based marketing? Here's your chance. The brand new book, Pillar-Based Marketing: A Data-Driven Methodology for SEO and Content That Actually Works, by co-hosts Ryan Brock and Christopher Day, is now available in paperback, hardcover, and ebook editions. Find it at Amazon or Barnes & Noble or look for the link in the show notes.